IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On this show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week, we review albums and we hash out trends. In this episode we'll be talking about Olivia Rodrigo and Black Midi. My name is Stephen Hyden and I'm joined by my friend and co-host Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you? You know, uh, on a day, how I'm doing on a day like today, I'm just thinking of what my grandfather Ignatz Markovitz told me shortly before his passing. I know. Uh, yeah, he, he he was full of wisdom. I'm going to try my best to do a, you know, a, a Czechoslovakian two pack a day unfiltered cigarette smoking accent here. He's like, Ian, every day there's a main character on Twitter and your job is to not be him. You know, this guy full full of sage advice. And, th- wow. and then he and then he probably said something inappropriate about the waitress at Denny's when we were at at the time. But, um, you know, I, th- I think about it because like. You know, today, like we are in historic times in that, look, there are days where like a music writer is the main character on music writer Twitter. Like, yes, we talk about that a lot. And now you and I have you and I have been the main character in music yeah. writer Twitter from from time Ex- to time, I, I, you know, in the interest of full disclosure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah, that's not not the, not the best day. It's never for a good reason. Um, and. You know, now we are in a, a time where the main character on Twitter, Twitter, like the real Twitter, is someone who was like reviewing Kimbra albums on Pitchfork in like 2015 for like a wildly different. Like, Steve, do, do you want to explain what the like to make it in very clear terms what the hell we're talking about right now? Because I. Well, I don't know. How, how deep do we want to get into yeah. this? Because <laughs> this person is a trending topic, but not for their. A given name, yeah. <laughs> uh, but for a name that has been applied to them uh, on Twitter, that I think is a very funny yeah, it's name. Hilarious, but also, are I don't. <sighs> it's a little strange because like, are, will we be like aiding in the uh, the, the dunking? I know, dude, uh, of a person who's already being dunked <laughs> on a lot. I mean, do we want to wait yeah. into this? I think there's a lot of people who may know who we're talking about. Uh, and those who don't, maybe it's best that they don't know what yeah. we're talking about. Maybe they're living lives of of richness and experience, <laughs> and they don't need to dwell on these sorts yeah. of things. So I don't know, because you and I were talking about this before the show. It's like, do we want to bring up? Uh, Just fucking say it, man. Just say it. I'm. I, it's like on the tip of All my right. tongue. Well, I really want to say yeah, the name, but the, you know, um, but. Why don't you yeah, say okay. This is sort of like – it's like we're both afraid to say Candyman. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're going to say Candyman three times and Candyman's going to yeah. appear. If, I mean, I'm, um, a, I'm of several minds about this because on the one hand, like the the Eve Fartlow controversy is born of like re- – really There you go. It's you born did of it. like really, really like awful circumstances, you know, with, um, you know, the violence in Israel and also, you know, things that are happening in America. And, you know, on the one hand, like – that stuff is like terrible and it like really just like disturbs me on a day-to-day basis. But also like this is like legitimately like unquestionably fucking hilarious. Like and it's just it sucks yeah, I mean, that it's like born of such an awful, awful thing. Yeah, and you know, and she wrote a piece, I believe it was for Tablet, where the lead of the story is something like, I don't remember the first person who said E Fartlow, but that person lit a fire. 
It is a lead worthy of like Biggie and Juicy or like Mob Deep shook one's part. It's just like one of those lines you remember for the rest of your life. And I mean, and that and that's just because we're immature <laughs> people that we that we find the idea of farts being lit on fire to yeah. be funny. Uh, you know, even if it's an accidental yeah. uh, thing there. Um, but here's the here's the thing you know, with me with like on the one hand, it's like you know, no matter how bad of a day I'm having, like it's not going to reach that level anytime i've been the main character on twitter i've never had seth rogan laughing at a joke made about my name on the other hand like this person's audience has like grown this is like in some ways been the most successful music writer to something else pivot since like cameron crow you know <laughs> like they're opening up revenue i guarantee they're opening up like I know. like You're weird right. like right-wing revenue streams that the like we're out here trying to write like a review for a couple hundred dollars. We're asked, you know, who knows what sort of like Sheldon Adelson money this is opening up. Like this is a yeah, I mean, a real chestnut checkers move here. There's going to be like a like a fart low episode of Joe Rogan yeah. within the next three months. Yeah, uh, and and you know, uh, God bless you. You know, yeah. whatever you need to do, can't knock the need- can't. Can't knock the hustle. <laughs> we're, hey, look, we're all people at the end of the day. We all need to eat. So, you know, wh- yeah. whatever, you're, whatever you got to do, whatever you believe in, um, <sighs> you know, go with what you're doing. I want to pivot to another <laughs> form of Twitter discourse that yeah. was happening in, in the past week. And that was about the Olivia Rodrigo album, mm-hmm. so, uh, Sour. I almost said Sore. I don't know why yeah. I said Sore. Sour. And... Um, you and I, we didn't talk about this album last week because, like, I think that shows how out of touch we are. I hadn't heard the whole thing yet. You I know? Had, well, I, yeah, that's true. I didn't get in advance of, of the yeah. Olivia Rodrigo album. But there was this conversation going on about music for teenagers. Hmm. and Because uh, apparently there was maybe, like, a person or two who made a disparaging comment about the Olivia Rodrigo album saying this is music for teenagers. And there's all these 30 and 40-year-olds on Twitter raving about this album and mm. the idea of this being a little strange that all these you know older people are into teenage music. Yeah. And there was a lot of defending of older people listening to music made by, you know, high schoolers. And um I don't know how you feel about this. I mean, <laughs> I this conversation it's an example of something that I see more and more lately on social media where people Either you know exaggerate or they even invent critics <laughs> of something that seems universally liked in order to rail against them, yeah. because in in my feed there was like universal acclaim for this album, which by the way I think is a pretty good album. I know yeah. I know maybe we should talk about the album first. Yeah, to me, let's talk about the album. To me, the first song on the record, uh, "Brutal," yeah, is by far the best song on the record. It's the song that I saw like a lot of people referencing. And yeah. it has that great line about parallel parking, mm. which I, I thought was great. I think that's a great Can't snapshot. relate. I, I am fucking awesome at parallel parking. Like, but like maybe when you were a teenager. I, I was awesome. Like, I was a prodigy. Like LeBron James of parallel parking. I can't okay, relate well, to her. Okay, you well, are, you are like a feat of modern uh, science in that yeah. regard. I think it's a common touchstone, I think, of teenage anxiety to be worried about the parallel parking portion of your driver's test. It, it, it warmed my heart to see that teenagers are still stressing out about this, even though they have <laughs> the benefit of, of like cameras now. Yeah. In the back of, uh, you know, where they could see the car. Um, so I really like that song. The rest of the album I think is okay. It, it, mm. it, it's not, 
it doesn't stand out to me as much as that one song. But, you know, it, it's like a first record. It's like a lot of people's first record. It's more about the potential of mm. the artist. And then they go on to make a second or third album that's really great. And I mm. have, you know, it, it, she's so young that <laughs> she's still, like, developing her artistry. She's going to be a way different songwriter, I'm sure, by the time she's like 21, 22. So I'd be curious to see how that unfolds with her. I mean, like, what do you think of that record? Well, you know, you brought up Brutal, and of course that's the one we're going to like because a lot of people have correctly pointed out how it's quite similar or it just sounds not dissimilar from, say, like Illuminati Hotties or like Pom Pom Squad or, you know, like, or like that, Elastica. Yeah, that kind of like. like in, like that kind of theater kid slash improv pop punk. Um, and also, but also before we go on, like we got to talk about the fact that when, when we're ta- when talking about like pivots, there's a guy named Daniel Nigro who um, does a lot of the collaboration with this one. Uh, he's been this like kind of behind the scenes guy for a while. Um, you know, just like as he's done work with Sky Ferreira, Carly Ray Jepsen. Um, and this guy was in a band in the late 2000s called As Tall as Lions, who I reviewed on Pitchfork in 2009. I think they got a they got a 4.4. Like As Tall as Lions are a band that this is what I imagine like people who hate foxing think fact foxing sound like. That's how I'll describe their band. Um, but now here he is. That's a deep years- indie cast reference, by the way. Yeah, You're referencing like. A- <laughs> We're talking about Olivia Rodrigo, the biggest record on the planet, and you're referencing as tall a record as, that only yeah. our audience would know. Yeah, As um, Tall as Lions. Look, that's a band that's like probably pretty popular amongst people who grew up to be indie cast people. It's kind of like quasi-Christian, like Snow Patrol-ish sort of stuff on Triple Crown. Did that Crown. make Pitchfork's uh, top 38 reviews, by the way? The, uh, the It must have been number like 43 or something like that. <laughs> it, was in, it was in the also receiving votes, but... Um, you know, with this record, it's like I, when I listen to it, I have this um, I have an opinion that is like pretty much death on Twitter, which is to say I can appreciate it's this is not for me. You know, like this is it's it's something where I can appreciate the craft. and I could see especially if like you're someone who's like primary beat is pop music and trends of teens. But like I it's I listen to this and like. Yeah, even when I was a teen, I wasn't listening to stuff that really sounded like this. So, um, yeah. but to to your point about like the arguing with no one, I got, we got to give a shout out to. I think we can call him a friend of the pod. Um, our you know our our Twitter pal he go, is at kill a cow with K's. He said, "There's always someone on." You're Twitter really, you're really ar- sucking up to our audience with this one, by the way, because I know he's yes. probably listening. And, yes, uh, th- this should be like. Uh, you know, premium content where people have to pay <laughs> in order to be directly referenced in an episode. So but, you're getting a freebie, <laughs> kill a cow. Yeah, but he's he like made the tweet that like really encapsulated this whole controversy. He's like, there's always Twitter, there's always someone on Twitter arguing with no one, saying stuff like, I was, but I was told Steph Curry wasn't a good shooter. And, you know, <laughs> right. and, and, and this really came up with, we talked on a previous episode about like Billie Eilish um, being like criticized by a couple of Twitter trolls. And then there was, a New York Times article recently about her, I think it was British Vogue cover shoot, which was um, a lot different than her previous press photos. Like on the first album, it was like very concealing, like wearing baggier clothes. And now she was wearing lingerie. And this article in the New York Times was about this backlash. And, you know, you, you, you give it the slightest bit of scrutiny and like 
the primary source was like this German bot, which has like tweeted maybe three times. And so, yeah, it, uh, when we think of like, yes, I know there exists some sort of, I don't know, back, like if you look hard enough, you can find people on Twitter saying, oh, there's grumpy you know, people on yeah. there who are probably saying like, oh, why does everyone care about this album? Yeah. And yeah, they exist out there, but like, they is exist. there any evidence that that has any influence on how this stuff is discussed or covered? No. I mean, absolutely not. I mean, look, and this isn't just about, you know, uh, Olivia Rodrigo. If you look at the culture at large, I mean, there has never been a moment in human history where it was more acceptable for adults to be into teenage stuff. I mean, adults read YA fiction, adults watch comic book movies, adults are into pro wrestling, you know, adults yeah. are into video games. And I'm not knocking any of that stuff. I mean, I'm sitting in my office right now, I'm surrounded by like music posters and it's like a glamorized <laughs> version of like my teenage bedroom. So like yeah. I live in an adolescent world too. Like we <laughs> all live in an adolescent world. No one wants to grow up. We're all just dwelling on teenage stuff all the time. So to act like there's this stigma, I it just kind of makes me say, like, it just feels disconnected from reality. To yeah. Me. Like, sh- like, this is, like, one of the most praised records of the year. If, if we're going to talk about teenage music that, like, yeah. does have a stigma, let's talk about the 21 Pilots record that yeah. came out last week. I, I mean, I think... Their biggest song is about how nobody wants to grow up, like, uh, stressed out. So... But the thing, you know, but they're it, a big teenage band, and like, are they? they yeah, they are. I, they, I mean, like, I remember I wrote about their last record, and I wrote about it from the perspective, kind of like what you were saying before about like feeling like this isn't for me. Like, I'm not a Twenty One Pilots fan, <gasps> but like, if you dig into their <laughs> fan base and their mythology, you know, it's it's really deep, and like the people who are invested in it, like, are really invested in it, and most of them are like really young. I mean, they're they're teenagers or they're you know, maybe now they're in their early 20s because they grew up with uh, those earlier records. Um, but, you know, like that kind of teenage music doesn't necessarily get a lot of shine. I mean, because teenagers, they're not just listening to Olivia Rodrigo. Uh, you know, they're listening yeah. to punk. They're listening to metal. They're listening to, you know, hip hop. Really, any <laughs> kind of music that's aggressive or emotional. I feel yeah. like that still is in the wheelhouse of, like, young, young people. Um, and... Maybe there's a stigma with that, like a band like 21 Pilots that still doesn't really get reviewed. Well, my, my take on 21 Pilots is that like if we're ta- if we're talking about like the critical mindset, there is absolutely nothing more embarrassing to that realm of writer than a teenage boy. And so if you, you listen to like 21 Pilots and you think, I mean, uh, also they like remind you of like Sublime, they... Uh, you know, just like white boy hip hop. But like, I think that you get the perception sometimes that like, I, I, I think there's a sense that like teenagers are only listening to one thing. Like you're saying, it's like what, like the it, it fails to consider that like, you know, teenage years are when people also go through their like Pink Floyd phase or their like Led Zeppelin phase or, you know, or, or they like want to listen to anything besides Olivia Rodrigo because that's like what the popular kids are listening to and they can't relate to that at all. Now, granted, maybe things are different in high school than like what, you know, we experience, but experience, but like I spend most of my day, like in my real life job around people who are from ages 16 to 25. And like, I would say that one of the, the most futile thing you can do is try to anticipate what they're thinking because 
so much of their lives and culture are predicated around like either confusing or pissing off people our age. And, you know, I think it's, I think the, it's not even so much enjoying music that, or art that is made for teenagers. And who's to say what that is? I mean, this is the most popular shit on earth. It's made for everybody. But I think there's a, maybe more, I think the critique maybe is more towards like people our age who try to maybe front like they're like teenage whisperers, you know, that they're people who like, it's not that like they enjoy it, but they can like, and analyze it on a deeper level. Like I, I just think of Professor Frank, who's like doing the pop up ball, like mower. He's like, ah, I'm enjoying this in ways that you can never ever possibly perceive. You know, oh, uh, that was a that was a Simpsons reference. Yeah, that premium content, up, yeah. premium content, always. Um, you know, well, I was gonna say like when we talk about like music for teenagers and how people felt like they had to defend that concept. Um, yeah. I feel like I feel like that's invoked more <laughs> in the opposite direction where if someone were to say like write a review of Olivia Rodrigo and they didn't like the record. Yeah. Which I didn't see by the way. I did not see any negative reviews of that album. I mean None. Pitchfork gave it a 7.0. That's that's maybe like the le- like the least effusive thing I yeah. saw written about that. And the Stan Army didn't come out as far as I know. Like no, the- which is Great Weird. for them. Yeah, good. <laughs> Hats off to the uh, or, Rodrigo heads for, for showing some uh, restraint or, there. Or but. or maybe they're like, you know, they're actual teens and like they're not reading, you know, the the, you know, the most trusted uh, website in music. Who knows? Let's let's pretend that teenagers are totally invested in the critical discourse and that they <laughs> love music criticism so much. Let's just assume that for now. Yeah. But like, I feel like it's invoked more like if you were to say be like a 50-year-old music critic and you listened to Olivia Rodrigo and you said, uh, this, this songwriting is overwrought. It's, uh, you know, the production is derivative. You know, if you went off on it, I think then people would be saying, well, this music isn't for you. This music is for teenagers. Like, how dare you put this down when you aren't really part of the audience? Like, that's when I think that's invoked more. Then all of a sudden it's not okay for adults to listen to teenage music because they've, engage in it in a way where they don't like it you know i think that's where it comes up like you silence people with that and it's funny because we have a we have a reader question that is related to this and maybe i'll save some of my other thoughts on this for the answer to that but um yeah i i don't know I, i just think that's a really sort of convenient way to dismiss any kind of criticism of a record to then say well, everyone should be able to like this, but then if someone doesn't like it, then it's like, well, it's because you're this, that, or the other thing. Um, I just think of Bob Lefsetz, like, who, like, is there going to be, like, didn't, like, Taylor Swift write a song about, like, something like Bob Lefsetz wrote about her? I think this is Yeah, that's song Mean. Yeah, so is there is Olivia Rodrigo on LP2 going to get, like, you know, at, at the As Tall As Lines guy to, like, just get in the lab and write a song about, like, the one a dude with like a thousand uh, followers who said, I don't know, this music's really for teens. But then again, by the time that album comes out, she'll probably be 20. So yeah, that's true. Maybe she'll feel the same way. Maybe she'll look back at it and go, that wasn't my best work. The second album is the the darker, the the darker, more introspective Olivia Rodrigo sophomore album. I mean, I think the thing with the Rodrigo album is that it really, I mean, it's not just, it's not just that she's a teenager. She is writing from a very specific, point of view 
uh, that is very teen centric. Like that song, "Driver's License." Yeah. Which I'm, I like, I wasn't a big fan of that song. Really, I that song does seem like pretty overwrought to me. But at the same time, I think it's authentically overwrought. Yeah. Like I, it's it's overwrought in a way that feels genuine to the experience of someone who, uh, you know, was dating someone and then you broke up and then you're driving past their house all the time. Couldn't like, agree more. I mean, so in a way, I feel like I totally understand like why that song the way it is, even though it may not really speak to me. There's like a song on that record, and maybe I'm I misheard this, but isn't there like a lyric on that record where she's like, it's like a it's like another breakup song, and she's talking about like this bed that we made together. Uh, Yeah, but if if you're a teenager though, you totally think in that way, you know? That like like you were married? It just sounds like, you know, it's it's like a marriage ballad or something, like with that kind of lyric. I was like, that lyric kind of made me go like, really? Like that, okay. Shouldn't it be like, I don't know, anyway. Yeah, let's, (laughs) yeah, I I, I think though that like, you're right in that it comes across it's like teenage awkwardness, like kind of honestly, in a way that a lot of pop punk does as well but it's like once again it's like if you listen to a pop punk song you think about like an embarrassing teenage boy not like a kind of teen stand-in a lot of people our age want for themselves and you see that in a lot of art where you see like a teenager like i don't i'm not saying that's happening here but like when i see in a lot of tv and movies there's like yeah this is very clear that a 35 year old is writing this high school character for them like not because it's realistic because it's like this idealized version of like how they might want to see themselves. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely this thing among adults where they want to project all this wisdom and soulfulness onto children. Yeah. Maybe because they feel like when they were teenagers, they were misunderstood by people. And so when they see teenagers now, they they project like, well, you're like me when I was that age. And you're you're smarter and you're more soulful than you get credit for. When in reality, I mean, like when you're a kid, like you're just a kid. You know, yeah. you're just figuring it out. I mean, and uh, you know, you are dumb about a lot of things, <laughs> and that's okay. That's the yeah. age to do that. Like that's totally cool. And uh, you're dealing with all these emotions for the first time, and of course, you're going to be overwhelmed, and yeah. it's going to feel like the end of the world. I mean, that that's how it should feel. Yeah. Um, it's, it's it's like it's like bowling of it's like bowling for soup said in their hit song high school never ends high school never ends oh man you are like <laughs> you are slang for the indie cast listener yeah. today you you're bringing a bowl of soup reference in here bowling for soup yeah. i say bowl of soup bowling yeah. for <laughs> that'd be a good band name bowl of soup that no, would be wouldn't. bowling for soup's a much better name well no i was just going to say i think there's going to be like a british post punk band called bowl of soup you <laughs> yeah, know they, just they, trying they, to ca- they capture the absurdity of our modern existence vis exactly. soup you know <laughs> exactly the the overwhelming uh you know uh, information overload anxiety. <laughs> yes, and uh, of late capitalism uh, is encapsulated in, in the name Bowl of Soup, uh, <laughs> the new band uh, from, uh, yeah, from England. On, catch them on tour with uh, Squid this fall. Uh, okay, well, let's move on to our mailbag segment here. And um, by the way, thank you for the people who left us reviews. I, I'm yeah. told that I'm told that we got a huge surge in reviews uh, in the past week because I asked for some reviews in our previous episode. If you haven't left us a review and you like the show, please leave us a review. It do, it is helpful for us. You don't even have to leave a review. If you just like want to leave a rating, uh, that would be great. 
unfortunately you can't do like the 0.3 or 0.5. It has to be either like a whole, st- actually, I think you can do half stars. You can do a 0.5, but give us five stars. Yeah. I mean, we're well, begging well, here. Yeah. We're groveling yeah. for, for, for praise here. So <laughs> help, help us out. It helps the show. Uh, please do that. Also, um, just want to remind you of our email address. It's indiecastmailbag at gmail.com. Um, we always get lots of letters. We can't get to all of them, um, but we appreciate hearing from you. We, we love our listeners. You guys always come up with wonderful questions, including this one, which is related to yeah. the uh, discourse about Olivia Rodrigo. We were going to do this last week in our episode, but we ran out of time, so we wanted to make sure we got to it. This comes from a reader named Colin. He's in Colorado Springs. Thank you, Colin. Uh, hey, Stephen Ian, I'm really enjoying the podcast, and I know you're more likely to read my question if I start with some flattery. So yes. let's get that out of the way. Yes, Colin, you are correct. <laughs> uh, but now I'm going to skip over some of the. He, he gave us lots of compliments here, yeah. but we we want to get to the meat of this here. So, Colin, we read your compliments. We appreciate them, but we're trying. We just begged for compliments a minute ago. We want to be a little less disgusting, so we're going to skip that part of the. Of the letter. He says, what I really want to talk to you about is getting old. (laughs) (laughs) I've gathered from the the podcast that I'm nearly the same age as you. I turned 40 this year. And as I surrender to an ever-receding hairline in an invasion of salt in my pepper, part of my newfound midlife crisis is feeling increasingly awkward about listening to new young bands. For example, I I was recently listening to the album Gammy Gang by Origami Angel. And while I really like that album, I can't help feel... Like the old dude in the mosh pit who all the young people are sort of trying to avoid or even laugh at. Uh, The question I have for both of you is whether, as critics uh, who are no longer spring chickens, speak for yourself. Yeah, you said this one was flattering, dude. (laughs) Uh, I'm the springiest chicken there is. Uh, You ever feel this kind of awkward tension while listening to young bands? Or in terms of your work as journalists, do you ever wonder if your perspective is far too removed from the people making the records you review? The way I usually answer this question is for myself to think, who cares what anyone else thinks? I like it, and that's all that matters. But as critics, I wonder if you ever feel an extra layer uh, to that existential crisis. Thanks in advance for reading my question, and keep up the good work. Signed, Colin. Um, so yeah, we were just talk- we, we were talking about this with Olivia Rodrigo. Colin is getting a little more specific here, talking about indie bands who are really young. Right. And going to shows and the awkwardness of that. I have some thoughts on this, but I'm curious... To hear what you have to say, Ian. Well, because you because you're around <laughs> like youngsters all the time in the emo yeah. world, I, I imagine. Yeah, I mean, he brought up Gami Gang, which, uh, yeah, it, it's 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 funny because like you know they're in their 20s and they write from what most people would consider like a high school perspective, but it's way 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 more how I might remember my high school days of like just kind of being feeling like weird at school and like you know, uh, using like Neutrogena acne wash and playing video games. Like that to me is like, <laughs> like people forget that's a high school experience as well. Like going home, playing Jet Moto and like listening to Weezer's Pinkerton. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's something that comes up obviously a lot because, um, you know, like most people like by our age, they either like have pivoted out of, you know, young indie rock and like gone to jazz or something like that. Or like, you know, like hip hop or like, and you know, that's stuff I like too. But, um, I mean, the thing 
about like I think I'm at an age where it's no longer awkward. Like me, like people talk about like God damn, I feel I'm 31 at the modern baseball show. Like I've never felt so old in my life. And yeah, when you're just a little bit older, like maybe then it's awkward. But I think that at this point, it's just established that you know I am older and I'm coming from from a different perspective. Um, it gets weird when you see like the drama <laughs> pop like pop off on Twitter. And you remember like, oh, wait, these are like 22 year olds on Twitter. And imagine what it might have been if I had Twitter at that age. So, I mean, but that that part's weird. But I mean, at shows, it's like, yeah, people know that like I'm just I'm, I'm like the writer who's going to write about this stuff. Not that like I'm trying to like fit in or whatever. And this is just like the music that does it for me. And, you know, one of the things I learned pretty quickly is that. Um, you never want to be the old guy kind of gatekeeping. You see this all the time with rap where, um, you know, like people are like, yo, this ain't real hip hop like five years ago. Like anytime you go on, if you watch like uh, hip hop videos on YouTube, no matter what year it is, it, there's always like, yo, this is real hip hop, not like these, you know, stuff that's happening five years in the future or whatever. And like this happens like 10 times over for Lil Wayne. I used to be a little more of like, yo, I'm not feeling like where emo is going right now. But I mean, it it, it it puts you in a weird position because on the one hand, you don't want to be the old guy gatekeeping. But on the other hand, and this comes up with like the Olivia Rodrigo stuff as well. It's like, do you really want to just credulously accept what the kids are doing in the interest of like not feeling washed? Because yeah, I mean... Right. And I think that's the tension that a lot of critics face as they get older. And mm-hmm. the idea of, yeah, you don't want to be the scold, but you also no. don't want to be like, you know, the Steve Buscemi uh, gif where, yeah. you know, from, from 30 Rock, where you have the skateboard over your back and you're acting like you're 21 years old, even though you're not. I mean, I yeah. think that's that's kind of an awkward thing. I know, like, for me, I mean, just to go back to what he was saying about feeling awkward at a show, look, no one cares. You know, no one's looking at you and, and judging you based on you being at this show. They're there to see the band, you know. So I think <laughs> any self-consciousness that you feel about that, you just have to say, like, well, look, I mean, who cares? I'm just I – mean, unless you're making a spectacle of yourself, you know, and, like, yeah. trying to start a mosh pit or something. I mean, I think just just be you. No one really cares that you're there or not. Just enjoy the show. Um, I will say, like, as a critic, you know, sometimes – I never feel self-conscious about liking what I like. I think you like what you like. You follow your heart, your instincts. I mean, if you're going to be a successful critic, you have to do that. There are instances, however, where I feel like, as a commentator, I don't need to be at the center of this conversation. You know, it's like I'm really interested in in hyperpop, for instance. Like, a lot of that stuff I've listened to and I've enjoyed it. But I also feel like I kind of would rather read someone who's like in their twenties writing yeah, about this exactly. because they're actually native to this culture. They've like been immersed in this for a good part of their lives and they're going to have a perspective on it. That's just different from mine. I mean, the the analogy I would make is, you know, like if you're like really into like, uh, like, like French culture, like you love France and you, and you know how to speak French and you love wines and you love cheeses. Uh, as an American, you're, you're still not French, you know, like the French people are French and they're the authority. You, you you would, you could admire that stuff, but you're not going to like put yourself up as the authority on it because you're still an outsider. And, and I think that is, um, the best way to approach this, to have like a little humility with this. Like you have an open mind and you, you like what you like 
and you embrace change and you embrace new things that come along, but you don't feel like you have to center yourself as like the expert on it, that you can take a step back and listen to other people Hmm. who are maybe more a part of that world who can explain what this thing is. To me, I think that's like the best way to go with this sort of thing. I think the smartest thing I've ever done as far as like explaining my situation and, or just like my relationship to the music that I cover is that like, I make it very, very clear that like, I am not a part of the scene. Like I am, I have not been in the basements for the most part. Like I did not, like I was not, I'm not an alumni of some, you know, basement scene in Philadelphia or Chicago or whatever. Like I am an observer and a fan of it. And that like, I do not claim any kind of punk credentials, which, you know, on, on some level people might say like, oh, that, you know, you're a poser or whatever, but like, I don't really give a shit. I think that the bands don't mind that they have someone who's like removed from, you know, that kind of micro insular scene, like writing about them. And I mean, it's freeing, you know, it is it. And, and like you said, like one of the things that you'll learn, I think when you get older, and this is something I talk about a lot, like in my real life job, when people are like wondering if everyone's looking at them, it's like, for the most part, no one's thinking about you anywhere near as much as they're thinking about themselves. So, you know, <laughs> right. Yeah. If you're at the show and like, you're wondering like what this 23 year old is like, thinking because like you showed up wearing the same clothes you wore to work or whatever it's like they they're worried about like you know how much drinks cost or whether you know their friends are gonna like catch a ride home or whether they're gonna play the song like they they so don't give a shit about you um yeah and i think especially like now i mean you know who's gonna judge someone for going to a show at this point yeah you know we've all been we've all been cooped up you know we're all ready to you know live our lives again and like Someone's going to judge another person for, you know, go, enjoying music at a concert. I mean, that's their problem, not your problem. Yeah. But like you said, there is no problem because they don't care. No yeah. one cares. Like, no yeah. one cares about anyone. We're all the protagonists in our own movies in our head. Yeah. The protagonist, you know, and, I believe it's called the protagonist of reality. Like that Yes, is, exactly. I, I, I think I read The world didn't Twitter exist too. before we were born. Yeah. Then we were born. The world existed. We, we, Nothing we, happened before us. <laughs> and we're the only our perspective is the only thing that matters i mean we, that's uh, that's how we feel in our heads that's how yeah. everyone feels we we lack object permanence which <laughs> that's another band that's going to go out on tour with dry clean this year object permanence really digs into the uh that's the, not banal enough i don't uh, think i think I that's a little too uh well maybe that would be more that'd be like a song title for yeah. the band that we're going to be talking about next yes. perhaps how, again, king of the segways. I, can yeah. I get? I, I'm, I'm complimenting myself now. I'm patting myself on the back. Yeah. Uh, can you imagine? Which is fine. Like, I, I really think at some point we should do this. Like, maybe like 2021 Pitchfork Fest. We should do it live to let the let the people know. Like live, as in like on camera, to let the people know. Like this is this is like real, like off the dome stuff, man. These segways are not planned. See, like I think if we did a live event, the whole audience would be like guys in hoodies standing against the wall <laughs> on the opposite end of the stage. Like, no one would stand in front of the stage. Everyone would be against the wall in the back because uh, that's our audience. It's like it's the guys in the back, yeah. the guys and the women in the back who don't guy, want, you yeah. know, who arms are, folded. Who are worried about, like, being judged for being a little bit older because they're the one yeah. guy in their group who still likes indie rock. Like, we see you. If we uh like if we if we sold tickets like the most expensive <laughs> tickets would be the ones in the back yeah. and like the ones in the front would be free. It's like yeah. you could sit in the front, you don't have to pay anything. 
But if you want to stay in the back, it's a hundred dollars, and we would clean up. It'd just be people paying a hundred dollars, hand over fist. It'd be great. Um, let's talk about Black Midi. Yeah, let's uh, talk they, about Black Midi. Speaking of teenage but, music, yeah, <laughs> some kind of teenager. I want to. I want to meet that teenager that's into this band. Um, this is uh, they have a. This is a band from England. Uh, they formed in 2017. Uh, incredible musician names in this band. The, the lead singer oh. of the band is named Giorde Greep. Oh yeah, um, and, and his picture like that I've seen is like from the Onion, um, like Voices on the Street. Like it's it's just an incredible. Like if you look at the Stereo Gum article uh, about Bob Dylan, where they had eighty people talk about uh, eighty, like on his eightieth birthday, there's a picture of this guy Jordy Greep. Like his name is Jordy Greep, man. Like I gotta yeah. know if that's like Kurt Vile level. Like wow, that is his real name. I wrote a review of their record that's out today, which is called uh, Cavalcade, and. Uh, I had a joke where I said that if Thomas Pin- like if this band didn't exist, Thomas Pynchon would have invented <laughs> this band because it's such Pynchon-esque names, like the uh, bass player's name, Cameron Picton. Wow. And uh, and then the drummer actually just has like kind of a regular name. His name's Morgan Simpson, although he's yeah. my favorite member of the band. Yeah. Just a killer, like just a kick-ass drummer. Um, they put out uh, their first full-length album in 2019. It was called Schlagenheim, <laughs> which is a made-up word, apparently. Um, that just sounds weird, which is the black midi aesthetic, I think, in a yeah. nutshell. Um, they have a new record out today. It's called Cavalcade. And um, this band is often lumped in with this wave of British post-punk bands that we've talked about in previous episodes. That includes bands like Squid, Dry Cleaning, Shame, uh, black, country, black Country, New, new Road. New, new Road. Um, and I feel like that is a bit of a misnomer for Black Midi because I think if you listen to some of those other bands, and I, and I like some of those other bands quite a bit, and some of them I don't really like, but Black Midi to me doesn't really sound like a post-punk band. Uh, they are, I think, a world unto themselves. Uh, there's, you know, fusion era Miles Davis influences here. You have uh, like 70s prog rock, especially on this new one. Uh I made a joke about this in my review, but like I wouldn't be surprised if these guys went through a Mars Volta phase. Oh yeah, especially with some, especially with some of their song titles. Um, <laughs> this is a record. This is a record I like quite a bit. This is you know we're going to be talking next week about our favorite albums of the first half of 2021, and I would definitely put this album up there for me. And I think I like it because of the range of adventurous music influences that are on this record. I mean, they really are going all over the place in a way that I think is like really unique right now. Like, there's not another band that I could really describe as being similar to Black Midi right now. I think they're in their own lane. I also appreciate the fact that to me, they're one of the few bands with a significant profile in indie music that, that seems unafraid about irritating people <laughs> like like there's there's like moments on this record like that song john l the, oh, yeah. the 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 first single which we talked about a bit that's that 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 that's like the that's the accessible one that's like the banger <laughs> i guess it is i mean when it came out a lot of people compared it to primus yeah. in a somewhat joking way although it's just like the beginning part that's like promise. There's like a middle part where there's it's like this ambient thing and then they go into like a post-rock section uh, in the back half, it's really all over the place. And like a lot of the record is like that. It's a lot of the you know, time signature changes. I really feel like the middle of the record is basically like a four or five song suite where one song goes into the next. Um, but, you know, we've talked about this in other episodes. I mean, 
I think in the streaming platform era, the incentive to be abrasive or strange or annoying or you know, all these things, it's non-existent because it's so easy to click off a song. And I really appreciate that Black Midi doesn't seem concerned with that. I mean, this record, I think, is even less accessible than the first one. Yeah. They're really kind of going deep with this. I mean, I mean, are you into this band? I mean, I feel like I like them maybe more than you do. Um, I like Black Midi because, uh, like you were saying, like I don't hear them so much at, as like a British post-punk band, uh, you, you know, dissecting the absurdities of our daily interactions. Like they are just, like you brought up Mars Volta. When I first got this album... Um, you know, I was talking about it with someone who's also very much into Black Midi, and I was like, oh yeah, I really like their first one, and he's like, yeah, they go real Genesis, like prog Genesis on this one, and, you know, to me, look, I don't listen to a lot of Genesis, particularly like prog era Genesis, like, for me, it was like, what songs did I hear on the radio? I probably heard I Can't Dance a lot more than Abacab <laughs> or whatever. That being said, or like, but like, this stuff just, it... It, it it's so challenging and inaccessible and it it reminds me like of i don't know it reminds me almost of like mid-aughts indie rock in this not in like in the fact they sound like arcade fire broken social scene but like their first album was fun to me because it reminded me of like those hype bands from back in the day like wilderness like that's going to be a real deep cut if you know who wilderness is um, but these, oh like, yeah, I'm, oh there again, we go. Again, the the IndieCast fan, they're yeah. going crazy. Someone's head is getting like blown off of their uh, neck right like, now because yeah, of that like, reference. These bands that will like come out of nowhere and like get like a nine point two on Pitchfork on their debut album on like Domino or Four AD or whatever, um, and then you would just like clown the shit out of them on album two. Um, but like you know, I think what what's refreshing about Black Midi, even in so much as the music just it really kind of whips ass. Like it's very complicated and, um, you know, abrasive in a way that's not all that dissimilar from some of the more out there, uh, hardcore or emo or screamo that I listen to. But it's the fact that like, it's mu- it's so difficult to project emotions through them. Like in the same way that a lot of music happens right now. Like I, I would like, when you look at like, and this kind of ties into the Olivia Rodrigo conversation about like what the perception of what quote unquote music writers are into and what the reality is you look back at the past few years and even god knows maybe even the past decade and it's really a personality driven uh narrative you know even like really unconventional challenging music like fetch the bolt cutters for example is, it doesn't sound like much else but at the same time it's all through the framework of Fiona Apple, who everyone knows and is very legible emotionally, and uh, you can you, you can feel the feels with it. Uh, Black Midi is just completely impenetrable, and if you want to just like like it because the music whips and like you'd think that it's like completely different than anything else out there, uh, that's your in. You know, like I don't know if anyone emotionally connects to. Black Midi, and that's refreshing to me in a way that like reminds me of like bands like Liars or Deerhoof or even something like Battles um, back in the day. I think it it's it's a nice relief from a I think a lot of the top you know A list indie rock sounds like you know Ace Hotel lobby music these days. But <laughs> yeah, I mean uh, it's not an autobiographical record. It's not yeah, a diaristic exactly. record. It, it, there's a it's a it's a theatrical record in a lot of ways. There's a song in here. 
Yeah, it's uh, like cabaret about Marlene. type shit. Yeah. Well, yeah. There, I mean, there's literally a song called Marlena Dietrich on this record. Yeah. We're talking about the great uh, film star and, and, and stage performer, which, I mean, <laughs> I'm trying to think of like another indie band that you would even think would write a song about Marlena Dietrich in, in, in 2021. I mean, this is, they're really digging into some obscure areas on this record. But yeah, I mean, I think you make a great point about how there really isn't like a cult of personality with this band. And it seems very deliberate in that regard. Uh, aside from the uh, fact that like, they don't have a cult of personality, they're seen as these like difficult, like uh, artsy weirdo type people. But even like, even compared to like similar artsy weirdos, like Eve's tumor or Bjork or, you know, Moses Sumney or whatever, there's still like that one person, that personality and like this, narrative you can talk about like how they're deconstructing masculinity or things of that nature there's like nothing like that here yeah and you know and this is a band i mean i'm curious to see what the reaction is to this album probably positive Um, well i i mean critically yeah i could see it getting good reviews i'm just wondering um commercially how this album will do because black midi they did come out ahead of a lot of these other bands that have gained a foothold in the past say year year and a half um and I, I think compared to a band like Dry Cleaning, who, yeah. by the way, I've come around on that band. I've, I've, uh, I've, I, I, I enjoy that record. I actually like their EPs a lot. Their EPs um, are a little more raw than the than, than the record, but the, the record I've, I've come around on. That's a band. I mean, they sound like the poppiest band in the world compared <laughs> to Black Midi. I mean, they seem way more accessible than uh, than this band. Um, so I wonder if some of the heat will move off of them because that first record was really hyped. Yeah. And I, I saw them on that tour. They were, they played a small show yeah. uh, here. They played seventh Avenue entry, which is the side venue of first Avenue here in Minneapolis. Okay. Packed, packed to the gills. Okay. People were really excited. Um, I just wonder if their audience is going to be people that read, like guitar player magazines and yeah, they, magazines. They, 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 maybe they're going to end up being like, if we're going to talk about festivals, I don't know if this one's coming back, but like there's one in uh, England called arc tangent, which um, is the sort of festival where like a lot of like math rock bands, um, you know, like uh, you, you get like a lot of like math rock kind of like emo bands playing that gig. Like um, I'm trying to think like, who are the headliners for that kind of thing? It's like, you know, Opeth or, uh, you know, Rolo Tomasi or I think Swans played it one year or This Will Destroy You. Like, you could easily see Black Midi appealing to that type of, like, guitar player, uh, straight up, like, nerd, like, nobody moving at the festival kind of show. I mean, in San Diego, um, they're playing at the Casbah, uh, which is the same venue I'm just looking online it's uh, Dan Deacon and Ice Age. Uh, those are the kind of people that, and uh, yeah, those those are the kind of uh, band. That's the kind of level I suppose they're at. I mean, are they just like a hipper Mister Bungle? Would you say Black Midi? I mean, There's they kind of have more. that. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's like, oh, they kind of have that feel to me a little bit, like where. And again, I like them. I'm yeah. I'm a fan of this record. I like it a lot, but it just seems like a record that. Um, most 
people even in the in the audience is not going to connect with yeah I mean, maybe maybe it's like the one of those bands that gets like lumped into that male manipulator music sort of joke <laughs> where like you, you're gonna get that like um that that meme where like the one guy's like talking into the girl's ear at the club and like you like you fill it in it's like talking about like how like black midi is throwing in like 15 12.5 time signature or something <laughs> like, like it's gonna it might take on like a tool-esque component in the future right but you know what good for them man if you want to yeah, like, tap well, into the tool crowd that one's going to sustain you for life well we're definitely uh i mean it sounds <laughs> like we're already making a case for putting them in the indycast hall of fame here i mean this sounds yeah. like uh totally something that w- that we would endorse um and again shout out to morgan simpson the yeah. drummer in this band sick um, drummer sick sick drummer i mean come on like how many drummers can you talk about in contemporary indie rock i mean there's not that many that just jump yeah. out at you like that I, it's uh, seeing him like seeing this band live like he was the dude i looked at the ah. most because it's just like i want to see what that guy's doing i mean i love drummers anyway but i was like oh i want to i just like want to see this guy kill it yeah. and he did We've now reached the part of our episode that we call Recommendation Corner, where Ian and I talk about something that we're into this week. Ian, why don't you go first? So if we're going to talk about, like, I I think one of the missing links in uh, what we've been talking about this entire episode is, like, the rise of pop punk. Like, there's a lot of pop punk on the Olivia Rodrigo album. It's kind of a main driver of a lot of, like, you know, Travis Barker is, like, a pop savant right now. Um, but a lot of like actual pop punk, like in the trenches, pop punk is being overlooked. And I think a band that kind of embodies that is Hot Mulligan. Um, if we're talking about like Michigan emo slash punk bands, you know, like Greet Death, Dogleg, uh, Mover Shaker, um, bands like that, like Hot Mulligan, as far as popularity, just kind of dwarfs all of them. They are like super on the low popular. Um, and they released an album last year called You'll Be Fine, which had like four or five incredible songs and the rest of the record was, you know, pretty good. It held sir, but it wasn't, it was kind of like that UCD sort of ratio. Um, they've come back with uh, a new EP that comes out this Friday. Um, that is, I won't reach out to you. Um, and, you know, they kind of toned down a little of the more grading aspects, but it's very much like a band where you can see them be like serving like a taking back Sunday sort of uh, role for people. Like granted the band's going to be seen as taking back Sunday years from now. It probably sounds nothing like them, but if you're into like kind of early taking back Sunday or like the wonder years, but like more toned down, this new EP will very much be for you. They also have a song called featuring Mark Hoppus, which that's the title of the song. Mark Hoppus is not (laughs) on it. Uh, but of course, Mark Hoppus finds out about it and he gives it a thumbs up. It's a it's a five song, 12 minute EP. Uh, they're a band that's like, do a little digging into Hot Mulligan. They're like one of those bands that is like low key, way more popular than you think. So and this this EP is probably the best thing they've done. So, yeah, I think that this is if you if you like the pop punk side more of IndieCast core, this is a band for you. All right. Sounds good. I'm going to do a shout out to something I did. Oh. <laughs> some some rank self promotion here. I, I wrote a uh, I, it was an interview I did with with Michelle Zahner of Japanese Breakfast that ran on Thursday. I think it turned out really well. Oh. She's a very smart person. Um, we ended up talking about Wilco and Built to Spill for a fair amount of the time, and that's something she brought up, not me. Uh, 
He is maybe very she smart thought, then. <laughs> yeah, maybe she thought like, oh, I'm talking to uh, Steve, so I have to... Know, know your audience. <laughs> feed him some stuff that he's going to like. But um, next week, we're going to be talking about our favorite albums of the first half of 2021. So we're not going to get a chance to review the upcoming Japanese Breakfast record, which comes out on June 4th, which is Jubilee, which I think is a really strong candidate for album of the year. If we're talking about albums that have come out already... Um, to me, it has the feel of like those expansive big tent indie records that we all love from the 90s and in aughts. Like when I was talking to her, I brought up records like Arcade Fire Funeral, Bright Eyes, I'm Wide Awake, It's Morning, uh, that <laughs> that second Joanna Newsom record. Um, and she didn't say that she had those records on her mind, but she definitely saw the connection between her record and those records. It's definitely uh, Michelle's honor embracing big beautiful sonics she wanted to make a big sounding record and i think she pulled it off it's a great record i i I really love the first two japanese breakfast albums too but this really feels like the album where she makes the transition from being a critically acclaimed and much loved kind of cult artist in the indie world to being i think at the on the a-list of people that we talk about in uh in the indie sphere so that's a great record i'm um, I'm sad that we're not going to be reviewing it next week, but I know we'll be talking about it yeah. again because I really do feel like it is it is one of the big tent records. Really, in a, I mean, there haven't been, I uh, think, a lot zero. of like big tent records. So, like to me, this feels like an oasis in a desert. This yeah. record, I feel like this is an album that like you're going to be seeing on a lot of year end list in in November and December. Yeah, and moreover, like we got to give a shout out to Japanese Breakfast, like just killing it in the festival circuit, like. They're playing like everything and you got to respect that in a way like, you know, get strike while the iron's hot. And yeah, you're right in that it it feels like kind of predestined, like to be one of those like uh, appear like that taking that like St. Cloud slash Punisher uh, role of like the number three album on every year end list. (laughs) I mean, I think it's going to I mean, we don't know what's coming out, obviously, for the next six months, but I think this could be a number one record i think it is definitely would be considered a top record of albums that have come out so far also i mean michelle also happened you know she wrote crying in h mart that book came out this year yeah number hit. number two number two on the new york times bestseller list so she's already written a hugely successful book now she's gonna have this record come out and i have a feeling that people are gonna love it oh absolutely i would expect right. them she- to love it so 2021, man, she's ruling this year. Yeah, it also kind of comes back to what we were saying about like the personality-driven, uh, you know, narratives. You know, because like regardless of like what you think about like the music or the books, it's like this is someone you want to root for. Like this, like like it, it helps that the record is good, but at the same time, like you could look at this a mile away. It's like yeah, this is gonna be like one what? of the big ones. Well, and I, I, you know, we talk about this in my piece, but, you know, Michelle, I mean, she kicked around for a long time. Shout's a little that, big league. That's a little good Little big band. league. You know, so she wasn't this overnight sensation. No, I mean, she had all. to, she had to, you know, go through a lot of trials and tribulations for a long time to get to the position where she's at. And I don't yeah. know, she just strikes me as like a really talented, hardworking person. She, yeah. does, you know, she obviously wrote this book. She has this record. She's like directed all of the music videos for the singles from Jubilee, uh, so I, I don't know. She just does a lot of different things. It seems like she does a lot of different things really well. Yeah. So hats off to her. And I'm sure we'll talk about Jubilee more in the future, but yeah, it's a great record. That book is really good. 
you know, she's killing it in 2021. So yeah. could be the Fe- could be the Phoebe Bridgers of 2021 as far as like you know multimedia uh, you know saturation in the indie world. Like you know, but she deserves it. Also, shout to that. I think the first Japanese breakfast song was like a split with Foxing back in 2011. Go there search, you go. Search out that EP. It's it, like it's Adam Sandler and Uncut Gems. This is history right here. That's awesome. Well, we're out of time for this episode of IndieCast. So thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with more news, reviews, and hashing out trends next week. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie, and I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box.